Our sermon passage for this morning is Matthew 26, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, a young woman came up to him and with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, this morning, uh, we come to you and cry out to you in the name of Jesus. In his name, O oh Lord, we pray that you would um, speak to us from your word. We pray that you would um, <clears throat> give us a great love for your son, a great love for you, a great commitment to your ways. And Lord, we confess that none of those things are natural to us, but we trust that your great grace, your undeserved favor and love that rests upon your children will move us and change us. So Lord, we're praying now that you would work in our gathering even today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26, where Kayla just read for us. Here at Redeemer, we are studying our way through the book of Matthew, and um, we are to the point in the book uh, where we are in the last few days of the earthly life of Jesus, and we are, we are right at the, the center of uh, arrest, betrayal, death, burial, resurrection. And so we're going to spend several weeks working through um, this piece of the story. Where we are today, what we see in this passage is it is time for the death of Jesus. And it's important as this story is unfolding for us to remember this. The coming death of Jesus is both necessary and good. The coming death of Jesus is both necessary and good. 
And so as we're going through this story today and in the coming weeks, I think it might be easy for us, um, I know it is easy for me to get lost in the story like it's a TV show, meaning like, um, oh, well, if this one thing would have happened, then, then he wouldn't have been betrayed. Or if this one thing would have happened, then he wouldn't have had to die. Or if this one thing would have happened, then the story could have ended differently. That's how my wanting to be entertained mind tends to read the story. So let me plead with you. Don't be like me, okay? Because if, if the story ends any differently, it's terrible for all of us. If the story ends any differently, it's terrible for all of us. This impending death is something that was necessary. It was the way of redemption, the way of the kingdom, the way of the people of God. And it was good because it brings the saving blessing of God to broken, sinful people like us. It brings the blessing of God to broken, sinful people like us. So as we go through, be on a hunt for the ways that this unfolding story is good. Uh, First point, if you want to take notes this morning, it is time. It is time. There's a theme that's run throughout Matthew of Jesus saying, my time has not yet come. We see it in Matthew, we see it in Mark, we see it in Luke, we see it in John, of Jesus kind of wanting to, to hold back the full revelation of who he is until the time is right. And, and, and clearly, it's the time. So we begin, look at verse 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus says, Two days. The Passover is coming. In that particular year, that would have been sundown on Thursday through sundown on Friday. The Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus is saying, the time's here. Like, like I will be crucified after two days. For those of you that are keeping count, this is the fourth time that Jesus has predicted his death to his disciples. He wants them to know that this death is coming. It's not something to be hidden from. It's not something to run away from, but rather it's why Jesus has come. It's coming. And crucifixion in that world was for evil people. It was for lawbreakers. It was for those who deserved condemnation. And what's interesting And what is good news and what is gospel for us is that Jesus is taking crucifixion even though he does not deserve it. He's taking crucifixion even though he was not evil. He's taking crucifixion even though he does not 
he has not earned condemnation. Well, then why would he do it? Jesus embraced crucifixion for the redemption of his people. He embraced crucifixion for the redemption of his people. Jesus believed that his crucifixion and then the impending burial and impending resurrection was actually good for his people and good for the world. Now, we're going to dive more deeply into this anointing part of the passage, but, but look at verse 13 with me, because I don't want you to think that, that I'm reading too much in this. Verses 12 and 13. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So Jesus is tying the oil to death to burial. Verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, as good Christians, we read gospel and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the story about Jesus. But gospel literally meant what? Good news. So Jesus is saying, when the story of my death, when the good news of my death is told throughout the whole world, what she has done will be remembered. It's time. The death is coming. The death is necessary. The death is good. The death is saving. The death is for us. So friends, this morning, as we dive into this passage of the scripture, let us be renewed in this conviction. Our Savior died for us. Our Savior did not pursue a quick, easy, earthly victory, but he pursued the one that would change the world forever, that would deal not only would deal with the spiritual realities of sin and of death, and of evil. Jesus pursued the way of redemption for his glory and for the good of his people. Now, before we move from this, um, I think we just pause here. And we recognize that to belong to Christ is to follow Christ and the way of Christ is always the way of death. The way of Christ is always the way of redemption. The way of Christ is always the way of building an eternal kingdom that's greater than anything this earth has to offer us. So Jesus told us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So we don't get to tell him where he should go. Our calling is to go with him. And so for the disciples here, it was to follow him 
back to Jerusalem to his impending death. And if, you, if you're thinking, well, tell me more about what that will look like. Like, like we have chapters coming to help us with that. But friends, it's time. There's no longer preparation. It's time for the moment where the world is forever changed. This coming death of Christ is necessary and good. Second point this morning. Um, This death is going to come with a broad betrayal. It's going to become with a broad betrayal. Meaning, what happened to Jesus Christ was not just a kind of a privatized, isolated incident in some religious gathering. But ultimately, we're going to see the chief priests and elders of the Jews turning against him. We're going to see one of his own followers turning against him. And not in this story, but as we go forward, we're going to see the government also condemning him. So there's this broad betrayal, this broad turning against the Son of God that's going to result in his death. Now, I've spent the last few minutes saying this death was necessary and it's good. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pause and look at the betrayal of this and not be taken aback. Not be taken aback, right? Like, like ultimately, Jesus was born of a Jewish woman raised in a Jewish family, participated in all the Jewish rituals, became a rabbi of the Jewish people to be their savior and deliverer and Messiah. And then look at verse 3. Then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So the leadership of the people that Jesus came to deliver is going to respond how? Arrest, crucifixion. That's betrayal. They've not received him. They've not welcomed him. They've not worshipped him. They've not glorified him. They will betray him. And then second, we get one of his own disciples. This is in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. So Judas has now promised to betray Jesus and hand him over to the priests and the elders for 30 pieces So again, Judas is not only one of these 
people for whom Jesus has come, but he's walked with him. He's experienced life in ministry with him. He's been one of his disciples. He was one of the ones sent out to carry on ministry. And this Judas is rejecting Jesus and betraying him. So there's a broad betrayal unfolding of people close, people who should know better, people who should have received, rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. And this betrayal up against the time will result in the death of Jesus. Now there's something for us to look at here. And this is, because we wrestle with how do we respond to this betrayal? Well, um, I just think our human response is to shake our head at the elders and the leaders. I think our response is to shake our head at Judas and being like, what an idiot, right? But I think this passage, the way that Matthew has intentionally laid it out, is going to call us to some deeper reflection. And the deeper reflection is, how are we going to respond to this Messiah? I think that's the deeper reflection. So look at the juxtaposition that Matthew's given us. We have two responses from two individuals. In verses 6 through 13, we have the woman who anoints Jesus with the expensive oil. And in verses 14 through 16, we have Judas effectively selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, okay? So let's look at these a little bit. Let's be positive first. That seems like a good way to start. Verses 6 through 13. Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Now, to us, that seems a bit abnormal, right? Anybody pour oil on anyone's head over Christmas? Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Um, and the disciples saw it, and they said, what a waste. Because we could have sold this ointment for a large sum of money and given it to the poor. But Jesus said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. And so if we're going to interpret this passage, that's the piece we have to really highlight. She has done a beautiful thing to me. But what did she do that was beautiful? She took something very expensive, of great value, and offered it as an act of worship to Jesus. 
She offered it as an act of honor to Jesus. And she offered it as an act of acknowledging the, his place as the king over the kingdom of God. And she offered it as a way to prepare him for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So here's our key interpretive point. It's verse 11. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't care about the poor. But he's saying you will day by day have an opportunity to respond in care and love to those who are in need. But her opportunity to worship me in this unique way as I physically walk the earth is today. And she did the right thing by taking the opportunity to worship and serve and honor the Savior. And for the rest of her days, she can care for the poor. So don't make this a Jesus versus the poor thing, okay? Make this a elevation of the opportunity to glorify and honor Jesus. On the other side, we get Judas. And Judas, we, we don't really know his motives. Clearly it had something to do with money, because up here we're complaining about the oil, and down here we're selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But Judas went to the priests and basically said, what benefit can you give me if I deliver him over to you? And so for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrays Jesus. Friends, I don't think it's an accident that Matthew has put these two stories right beside one another. I don't think that's an accident. Most scholars would say, based on John chapter 12, that the anointing story actually happened a few days earlier. But Matthew has chosen to tell it right here for the juxtaposition. To see this this act of worship versus this selfish act of betrayal. Okay, So what do we do with that, Pastor? Here's what I think we do with that. I think this Peace, verse 6 through verse 16, pushes us to evaluate ourselves. It pushes us to evaluate our commitment to Jesus and his kingdom. So it'd be easy to say, hooray for the woman and down with Judas. It's a lot harder to say, Where do I see the tendency of the woman in me? Which would be a commendable spiritual fruit. And where do I see the tendency of Judas in me? Just wanting what I need and want over against what's best for the kingdom of Jesus.
So Matthew is tracking it using um, material wealth, an ointment that's very, very expensive, and 30 pieces of silver. So a question would be, what has the Lord given me materially, skill, position, place? What's the Lord given me to use as an act of worshiping and honoring him? And then will I do that? Why won't I do that? Why am I not doing that? And then when we think about Judas, the question is, what do I desire so much that I would be willing to downplay my allegiance to Jesus? that I would be willing to, to walk in unfaithfulness to Christ. A month's salary? Well, here's the harsh reality. Every time we go plunging into sin, we're saying we love that sin more than we do honoring Jesus. So what I want us to take out of this sermon today is, number one, Jesus is dying for his people, and that's a good thing. And it's a good thing because those of us who are prone to to lean into our sin and our rebellion more than we are in worship and honor to Jesus, we can still be redeemed because Christ died for people like us. And then, friends, I think we have to do the hard work of wrestling down the question. The questions, where am I worshiping and honoring and celebrating Christ? And where am I rejecting him? turning away from him. And with all of those answers, let's be honest before the Lord. Let's be honest with one another. And let's pray that Christ would do a work in us that is profound. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words which you have spoken and that you would cause us to hear them and receive them, love them, to be shaped by them. We pray all of this for the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.